today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Lots to talk, and that would include Cuba, which, by the way, the United States is changing its position on, it it seems. Lots to talk to Michael Tobe about. Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper, and is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, I am. Hope you are too, Scott. Before we get to the U.S., your thoughts on these latest travel restrictions that have come down from the Prime Minister? Yeah, they're fascinating. I mean, it took them certainly a hell of a long time to bring them down. But after about a year of this, I guess we finally had something in place. Um, You know, some of it is okay. Some some of it's logical. Some of it's illogical. Um, For example, it it is logical to put the restrictions or place the restrictions on sunny destinations. But it was mostly limited to the Caribbean and Mexico. There are other sunny destinations in the world. And as some people have pointed out, Hawaii could be one of those arguable ones, and you can go actually even further than that as well, which means that, yes, the travel has been limited to some extent, but not completely based on the way that Justin Trudeau is talking about and the restrictions that are in place until April 30th, as I said, don't affect every country. But to get to the second part of it, what they've done with international flights is interesting. I mean, there's only going to be four major hubs for international flights to land in Canada, which includes places like Toronto, Vancouver, the larger cities that you would expect in Canada. But what's going to be interesting is, as you've probably seen, I'm sure your station has talked about it, is they have to basically quarantine themselves for, well, I mean, first they have to get COVID tested. Then they have to quarantine themselves for three days at a cost that will roughly run them around $2,000 or more, depending, I guess, on where they situate themselves. And then they obviously have to quarantine past that. So they're certainly trying to discourage people from taking those international flights. But it's also very different than other countries, such as, well, Israel, for example, which, as you know, has cut all international flights, period, for at least, I think it's a month or two overall, until things sort of settle down in that country. I'm not saying that Canada necessarily has to go that route, but it's a very, very different strategy than other countries are handling it around the world And there seem to be also some gaping holes, especially with the United States as well, where people are kind of confused, you know, what classifies as an essential or non-essential travel. And when they're going back and forth, even though they'll obviously start, stop at border points and whatnot, what happens from that stage on? That doesn't seem very clear either. All right, let's talk about the United States. Obviously, a change in administration and, as we often see, reversal of policies. One that I found fascinating was Cuba. Uh, Obviously, Canadians have been traveling to Cuba for a while now. uh, And then during the uh, Barack Obama years, uh, you know, there was a a bit of light at the end of the tunnel that that could happen for Americans. Obviously, the Trump administration came in and shut that down. Your thoughts on uh, will the U.S. reopen its borders with Cuba and relations? wouldn't shock me based on the fact that Joe Biden served Barack Obama's vice president for two terms. And mm. I don't know about you, Scott. I don't remember him complaining about that policy when the president, then president put it in. So I think what we're seeing, obviously, with Joe Biden as president, at least in the very early period, is that he's turning back the clock on a lot of the Trump administration policies, executive orders and whatnot, and putting his own ideas and models into play. As you said, that's completely, you know, it's completely understandable and it's not unusual. Every president who comes in, especially a president who is of a different political party, will obviously want to reverse some of the policies and executive orders and whatnot of their predecessor 
if they disagreed with him or if they just found them to be offensive completely. I think what is interesting here, though, is one of the early ones he's going after, as you said, is Cuba, which, to be fair, I thought at some point the Biden administration would probably tackle. Again, I just didn't think they would do it that early because even though obviously you want to have better relations around the world, you know, obviously would it would be nice if decades of problems between the U.S. and Cuba could finally come to an end. It's very difficult to trust Cuba as a communist society and a government that, you know, initially run by the Castros for many years has been very secretive in its operations, a little bit less so under Raul than it was under Fidel. But again, the, you know, the theory still existed. And as well, based on the fact that there's now been an additional icy period led by the Trump administration, which, to be fair, most conservatives like myself were not opposed to because we just don't stru- we don't you know we don't have a strong attachment to Cuba, and there's still not a lot to be trusted about them in certain ways. I think it's going to be hard to rebuild it as the Biden administration is looking at. But if they are successful. Like everyone else, I and others will just look at it and we'll try to evaluate it from that point on. But right now it's just chatter, so we'll see if they actually do it. Boy, that would be a boom for Cuba, wouldn't it? Especially their travel industry. Well, maybe. It certainly wouldn't hurt. I agree with you. I mean, Cuba obviously is looking for as many economic avenues as they possibly can to improve their conditions. I'm not saying that the entire country 100% lives in poverty, but anyone I've ever seen who's gone out there, like, for example, the journalist Stephen Wickery and his wife lived out there for a number of years. I saw photos. I've seen other people have photos that they've gone through. I know some people who have worked with the Cuban administration in certain ways or just simply traveled there. There's a lot that needs to be done in Cuba. I mean, I, I don't even think we have the time for that. And it's, yeah. it's immense how much needs to be done there. But yes, I mean, obviously the Cubans would look at this as a positive virtue to rebuild their tourist industry and also as well you know one of the things you may remember when raul castro and then president barack obama signed that agreement is that a number of american companies and firms were actually led into cuba as well Hmm. to set up a base of operations develop a business etc very early days and they didn't really go through very much of it because the trump administration ended it pretty fast but if that starts again, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Whether it's the best thing or not, from a political standpoint, I don't necessarily think it is. Uh, we've only got about a minute left here. Uh, the Huawei CFO was in court today trying to get her uh, bail restrictions loosened a bit, saying that uh, too much security around her, uh, is, she feels threatened with COVID-19 and such. Obviously, this extradition hearing is getting towards the end of its end of its rope here. Um, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on if the Biden administration will interject, or are we going to see the Huawei CFO head to the United States? I don't know. You know, you and I have talked about this, and it's hard to sum this up in a few seconds, but it wouldn't shock me if she, if, if uh, Meng Wanzhou actually does eventually end up in the United States. I don't find the Biden administration is signaling, signaling anything much different than the Trump administration at the present time. Now, this could change in a day, could change in a week, we know that, but as of right now, it doesn't, it looks like the Biden administration is listening to a lot of the uh, information and reports from various organizations that come up to question of what Meng did or Meng Wanzhou did in terms of breaking security procedures, safety procedures, and others in dealing with totalitarian regimes like Iran and others. I think they're very leery of the whole thing. I think they're they're nervous about it. And for that reason, I don't see the U.S. intervening 
radically differently than the than the Trump administration did, even though obviously the two presidents think very different on ideological grounds. And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if in the end, Meng Wanzhou is finally extradited to the United States, which is in the you know ultimately what they wanted to do way back in December of 2018. Yeah, and in this case with the Department of Justice, I guess, has been going on for a long time, longer than certainly Donald Trump was uh, in office. Correct. Uh, yes. Michael Tobe's been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks for your time. Be well. My pleasure. Have a good weekend. You too. Have you heard about the GameStop frenzy and the stock market? We'll try to figure out what the heck is happening when we return. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bizarre story uh, involving um, buying and selling stocks. GameStop, uh, GameStop is a U.S. retailer that sells video games in malls mostly, and the company's been struggling because of e-commerce and obviously mall traffic dropping during a uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, last summer, Ryan Cohen, who grew and then sold an online pet retailer, Chewy, bought 13% of GameStop, hoping to help them pivot into e-commerce. The stock quadrupled in four months, and that attracted short sellers, people looking to make a quick buck. Uh, GameStop wasn't a popular stock before all of this, and options can be much more volatile than the stocks themselves. So the sudden attention from the growing mob of retail investors made the prices go haywire. Wire. The early gains then attracted more people who read about the phenomenon and just wanted to do all this for fun. After uh, GameStop share started to soar, the early investors who wanted to stick to uh, hedge funds decided to squeeze short sellers betting against other stocks, and BlackBerry happened to be one of them. What the heck does this all mean? Uh, to talk more about this, let's bring in Mark Yamanda, president and CEO of Pure Investing Incorporated, and is with us now. Uh, Mark, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. How are you, Scott? So in layman's terms, Mark, what happened here? How did this, what, what went on? Uh, well, it's, it's absolutely hilarious from the standpoint of a, of a long-time market observer uh, because the short sellers, now short sellers are people who actually sell stock and bet against the company doing well. So they go and borrow stock and they sell it, say, at $20 and hope it, it goes to $5 or $10, and then they buy it back and they pocket the difference. Right. Um, this is sort of un-American. It's un-Canadian. It's it it goes against the nature. So everybody hates short sellers. Um, the the better way or better known way of playing the market is you buy a company. It has a great product, a great market. Uh, it does wonderful things for people, and the stock goes up because the sales are terrific. So this is what everybody knows the stock market is about. Short sellers are these curmudgeonly people who always dress in black, have scowls on their faces. People avoid them at cocktail parties, so they're <laughs> nasty people. Uh, but they do make money, because, and they do serve a, a role by providing liquidity in the marketplace, selling when other people are buying. Um, but uh, they're not well-liked by the rest of the industry. So all of a sudden, along comes Reddit, uh, and they're tapping into a brand new market. It's it's a nine month old market. These are new new investors, uh, and it's hit not just uh, there's there's a firm called Robinhood in the United States uh, that allows you to trade fractional shares, and it allows you to trade for no commission. Uh, so it's a transactionless way of accessing the marketplace, 
And they have been tremendously successful. The, the median age of the Robinhood investor is 31. Hmm. The average account size is only $5,000. Uh, and they put on three to five million new accounts uh, during 2020. So they're at about 13 to 15 million accounts. Uh, but these are all little investors and all are very young. Uh, and then along comes uh, Reddit. <laughs> uh, and one of the sub-accounts in Reddit is Wall Street Bets. Uh, it's primarily, it's, it's actually a, a testosterone-driven subreddit. It's mostly guys. Mm. And they start talking up things in the marketplace. And they focused, as you, as you pointed out, Ryan Cohen bought this share, and he was involved with Chewy. And just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Ryan and two of his former cohorts from Chewy uh, have been nominated to go on to the board uh, at GameStop. So uh, as, you, as you absolutely correctly pointed out, the hope was that they can transform this bricks-and-mortar retailer uh, who are who are effectively dying in all the malls because nobody's going to any malls? That there is new life in the idea of uh, of gaming, uh, and so all of these 31 year olds took their five thousand dollars and went and started to buy the stock. Now uh, it's actually technically a very interesting thing in all of these companies with large short positions. People cannot make money in their short position unless they buy the stock back. Now, they hope to buy it back at a lower price, but right. sometimes they have to buy it at a higher price and take a loss. Um, and so there, there's a natural buying element whenever there's a large short position. And somebody, uh, they're trying to figure out who it is. They, they've narrowed it down to a former analyst at Mass Mutual in the United States who actually has a certified financial analyst degree, so he actually knows what he's doing. He probably recognized that there was a large potential buyer in the short position uh, in GameStop, and he said if we press them, in other words, we force the price higher, it actually requires the short seller to put up more capital to maintain that margin. So if you sell it at 20 and it goes to 25 the broker requires that you put up collateral equal to the, the price that, that, that it's gone up. And if it goes up high enough, you have to start selling other positions in order to make up uh, the margin difference. And that's what a short squeeze is. Uh, when somebody who is short the stock is forced out uh, 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 and has to, has to buy in and probably at a higher price. Uh, so it, it, it's been fascinating because the short sellers have lost or reported $3.8 billion uh, just in the matter of weeks. Uh, so as I said, nobody likes short sellers. So to see them lose money in a large way in a short period of time for the rest of the market is very entertaining. Now, it's, it's real money. They've lost it. They're not happy. Uh, but they're big boys uh, <laughs> uh, and girls, and they, they will get over it. Uh, the real question now is, all of these small investors who have now bought these shares, who were GameStop was at 20 bucks at the end of the year. I'm staring at it now. It went as high as 350 bucks this morning. It's now down to 256. So it's only up 30 percent on the day. Um, so a lot of these little little folks who are buying the stock and they're buying it on margin. Uh, which is quite remarkable, which means uh, for every $1,000 you put up, uh, the, the brokerage firm will allow you to buy $2,000 worth of stock, so you actually double your exposure to it. 
all of these folks have made money up until now. What happens if it rolls over? Uh, so the SEC is involved. Uh, the White House has been brought in. That's my next question, Mark. This sounds, you know, this isn't a good buy. This is Internet manip- manipulation. So well, well, will we see changes in, in, in process because of this? Well, Scott, 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 well, manipulation is, is fighting words to a regulator. It's not really <laughs> manipulation. What it is is taking knowledge about potential buys and sells yep, yep. and triggering it. So as long as this is all disclosed, it's, it's fine. When it's not disclosed or somebody's dealing behind someone's back, that's when it gets a little bit funny. Uh, now, regulators say that they're looking out for the little guy, the small investor. Now, everybody who's been involved in financial services knows that that's not entirely true. <laughs> regulators, both in Canada and the United States, are trying to maintain an orderly market. And they do not want abuse to get too high. Hmm. Uh, so the small investor in Canada, for example, has been allowed to buy high-fee mutual funds, even though the regulators have known for decades that high fees are not good for small investors. Um, but, of course, the mutual fund industry and the banks who effectively control the mutual fund industry uh, have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. So regulators have been slow to act on high fees hmm. and re uh, retitling uh, the investment advisor industry. Um, And so it is in the United States. People are saying, oh, my gosh, these small investors are going to at some point get hosed because Mm. what if GameStop is unsuccessful at transforming this bricks and mortar? Well, just just picture This is like Blockbuster for video games. How would you uh, uh, transform a Blockbuster into a money-making enterprise given that everything can now be downloaded online. You can now download your games online. Mm. You can download all this content from Blockbuster. How do you reconfigure a company? Into an online, online? yeah. Mark, i got to cut you off there because we're simply out of time. Mark Amanda with us, president and CEO of Pure Investing, Inc. It is 2.30. News is on the way. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.